This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call, the 22nd day of May 2023. We are back uh, from our vacation. We had a, a wonderful time visiting family uh, out in uh, uh, El Paso, Texas. Uh, it was just uh, a, a great time, very relaxing, and uh, I actually stayed away a lot from uh, regular news. I did watch some sports, obviously. I watched uh, some basketball while I was out there. Didn't really watch a Red Sox game while I was there a little bit now and then, but uh, just uh, a, a wonderful time. Had a great time. And uh, one thing I did want to bring up uh, about the news is uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about the illegal immigrant problem here in the United States, about, you know, the uh, the COVID restrictions uh, ending and the fact that there was going to be this mass hysteria at our border and, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And, you know, the Republicans, of course, especially sounding the alarm about what's going on uh, with the immigration problem in the United States. Look, uh, I want to tell you, one of the places that's been talked about the most uh, because they are right on the border uh, is El Paso, Texas. Juarez, New Mexico is literally a stone's throw away. I mean, you drive along I-10 in El Paso, and to your right, it's all uh, it's all Mexico. I mean, you literally could hit Mexico with a rock from the, from the highway there. So there's all kinds of hysteria about the fact that uh, there's a huge immigration problem. And, oh, my God, there's homeless people, I- illegal immigrants living on the streets. And, oh, my God, this is horrible. Well, folks, I was there. And we drove around downtown right along the border. We went by some checkpoints in you know, along the border. There's no mass hysteria. There's no, I saw no groups of hundreds of, or thousands of people lining up to try to get into the, I didn't see any of that. I didn't see groups of homeless people living on the streets. Are there some? Sure. And I know that the uh, uh, the shelters there are doing their best to try to help people out. But it is not as bad as people want you to believe. The media wants this, and the Republicans want you to think this is the worst uh, crisis that this com- country faces. It's not. Do, do I, you know, is there a problem with immigration in the United States? Of course there is. You know, do we have a lot of people trying to come into this country illegally? Yes. But it is not as bad as people want you to think. And here's the other thing. 
In talking to my wife's cousin and her husband, who is a law, was a law enforcement officer there, and um, a lot of the people trying to get into the country right now already have work visas, already have sponsors in the United States, companies that want them to come in and work. And the United States is throwing up so many roadblocks that it has been difficult for them to get in. But I didn't see this huge problem that everybody says is going on at our border. I am not saying that we don't have an illegal immigration problem. I agree. You know, uh, it's, you know, the people coming up from Guatemala and other places, it has gotten out of control. But what we don't have and what every, you know, is, are these, these mass problems. Did we have them in the past? Yeah, but it's not going on right now. Or if it is, it is the greatest hidden thing ever. Because I saw no signs of it. And we drove around, as I said, right downtown, uh, right along the border, and we didn't see it. So uh, I'm not saying that there isn't an issue, but what I am saying is it is not as bad as the Republicans and the media want you to believe. This isn't like some unruly mob or, you know, it's just not. It's just not. One other thing that was weird, as we were driving out of El Paso along I-10, they actually have a um, an, uh, a checkpoint where you actually go through, and it was manned by Border Patrol agents. And, they, you know, we pull up, and they say, are you U.S. citizens? Yes, we are. Okay, go ahead. You know, I mean, and... You know, my wife and I are about as white as white can be. We don't, you know, so, yeah, you know, they weren't checking papers or anything like that. But, I, you know, um, they were making trucks get off. I imagine they want to make sure they don't have uh, uh, trucks full of, you know, illegal immigrants or whatever. But that was just weird. It was in the United States, you know, to have um, a checkpoint where they're asking if you are uh, a U.S. citizen. Just kind of weird. But anyway, um, El Paso, wonderful city. Very clean, very spread out. There's three-quarters of a million people there. You wouldn't know it. I mean, there's a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. But it's very spread out. It's huge. Uh, there was one point we went to this lookout, and you could look out and uh, over the city, and it just goes on forever. And so we got uh, we got quite a, a tour. It was, it was a lot of fun. But, again, uh, the immigrant problem, look, I'm, again, Yes, we, we obviously have to fix our immigration situation here in the United States, but there are not hordes of people down along the border, at least not that I saw. So, uh, and, and if it's, you know, indeed true that a lot of the people that are there already have work visas, uh, you know, and sponsors here in the United States, you know, what's the point of having a system where you can get uh, a work uh, permit and have a sponsor in the United States and still have, you know, have trouble getting in. What's the point of even having that to begin with? It just shows you the dysfunction of our federal government, which should be a shock to no one. But anyway, beautiful time. Uh, really enjoyed it. We uh, The last day there, we went up to uh, uh, New Mexico uh, to a little town called Mesilla. It's uh, something that uh, uh, from the 1800s, and as soon as you hit the town limits, uh, really small buildings. You can see the age, and uh, uh, went to a great Mexican restaurant there, and uh, uh, it was nice. We had we had a wonderful time, and then uh, uh, 
Barb's family gave us a, a, a tour of the rest of El Paso. And so we just uh, a great time, and, and uh, uh, we'll, be, we'll be going back, no question about that. But anyway, all right, let's get to sports. Before we get to the train wreck that is the Boston Celtics, and there is no other way to put what is going on with the Celtics. It is disgusting, absolutely gross what is going on uh, with the Celtics down the stretch. But before we get to that, let's talk about uh, the feel-good story of the weekend. Um, the PGA Championship was going on this weekend, won by Brooks Kepka, who is, of course, now part of the Live Tour. So Live gets its first major champion. But for Brooks Kepka, he now has five major championships in his career in 10 years. I mean, it's amazing. Um, and this is a guy that, um, you know, he and his wife are expecting their first child. He's got a lot going on, and uh, but he's healthy again, which is something he hasn't been for a while, and it's showing. He's playing very, very well. He now has won the PGA Tour Championship three times. Only Jack Nicklaus, Walter Hagen, and Tiger Woods have won more PGA Championships than Brooks Kepka. That's pretty heady company. Um, and he became the 20th player with five major championships since they started in 1860. Uh, so, you know, congratulations to him. Uh, but that's not the story of the weekend. It's not. And Michael Block is the story of the weekend in the PGA Championship. Now, one of the great things about the PGA Championship is that PGA Tour professionals, guys that are your local club pros, can qualify for this because, you know, that's part of the attraction. So Michael Block qualifies for the PGA Championship, gets in. Nobody expects anything from these guys. They're, you know, they're not touring pros. These are club pros teaching, you know, 12 handicaps in their club how to play better golf. You know, they're not out there grinding it out on a week-to-week basis. And Michael Block had one hell of a weekend. At one point, he was tied for, I believe, as high as eighth in the tournament. He ended up finishing 15th, 15th, against all these pros, guys that play every week at the highest level. He had a hole-in-one in the final round on Sunday. This is a guy who on Saturday is playing with Justin Rose and then on Sunday is playing with Rory McIlroy. Look, you'd forgive this guy if – he was starstruck or just like, wow, what the hell am I doing here? And he had coughed up a hairball and thrown up, you know, shot an 80 on the last day. He ended up shooting a 71. He finishes 15th, so he automatically qualifies to come back to compete in the major next year. Um, and just watching him all weekend was so much fun. The crowd, because it, what a great story. He's 46 years old. 46 years old. You know, a time where guys are four years away from going to the, the senior tour in the PGA, and here he is, uh, you know, at one point in the top 10, finishes 15th, gets $288,000. The largest check he had ever received for playing in a tournament was seventy five grand, which he did when he won uh, the 2014 uh, Club Professional National Championship in Myrtle Beach. Seventy five grand. He won 288000 yesterday. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And not only that, when the tournament is over, right, 
he is he signed his card, he's in there relaxing. He gets a phone call that he has been given a sponsor's exemption to play in the Colonial next week. How about that? This is a guy that was out here playing in the PGA Tour Championship and figured it was going to be a one and done. Now, all of a sudden, he's got a sponsor's exemption next week. And then the Canadian Open, which runs from June 6th to the 11th, has also offered him a place in their tournament. How great is that? This is a guy who gets $150 an hour for teaching, you know, duffers like me how to play golf in his... uh, uh, Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club, which is uh, where he is from in California. And now he is going to play in the Colonial next week, and he can play in the Canadian Open the first week of June. And if he plays well in either one of those, hey, folks, we might be seeing Michael Block for a while. What a great story. And you know what? We may never hear of Michael Block again after this year. You know, this might have been his thing, and and uh, his 15 minutes of fame, but this is a guy that is was just so grateful. And you could all weekend, you could just see every time he would do something, he would just shake his head like, whoa, what's going on? I mean, and sometimes the stars just align. And sometimes it's like God puts his hand down on you and says, you've earned this, enjoy it, and, you know, and, and make special things happen. What a great weekend for Michael Block. You got to love it. Um, You know, and like he said, he said, my life's changed after this. You know, it's changed for the better, but my life has changed. And he, he said it was an epic experience. Yeah, I guess. You know, this is like somebody who is a, a college baseball coach getting a call up to play for the New York Yankees for the weekend because they need a body. And, hey, you know, I used to used to play a little bit. How about you come play with us uh, for the weekend? And then, you, you know, maybe you hit a home run to, to win a game or something. That's what it's like. This guy's picked from obscurity, and here he is. And now he's got a chance to play in at least two more PGA tournaments this year. Good for him. Uh, and, and that's it, – it, it, you smile every time you, you see the guy. And, you know, I watched – more of the PGA that I probably would have simply because of how well he played. Just just a great, great story. Now, what is not a great story? The Boston Celtics. They lose the first two games in their series against the Miami Heat at home. That's bad enough. But you're like, okay, look, it's a best of seven. They beat the Miami Heat three times in Miami this year en route to having the second best record in the NBA this season. They'll get it together, no problem, and it'll be okay. Well, they went to Miami last night and got absolutely humiliated. They got beat 128 to 102, and it wasn't that close. It was gross. I I still cannot believe the effort or lack of effort that the Celtics put out there last night. And you can look no further than the head coach, Joe Mazzulla. There's been talk all year about Joe Mazzulla, you know, doesn't know what he's doing, and he never calls timeouts and this and that and everything. Look, 
it's not just that. You could make a look as somebody who was a high school and college basketball coach. I know the value of calling a timeout, and I know these guys are pros. And Joe Mazzulla's uh, attitude kind of is, "Hey, these guys are pros. Let them work their way through it. They don't need me calling timeouts and trying to micromanage them." Baloney. There are times you need to do that, and he doesn't. And there is also talk that he has lost this team. He has lost the locker room. And he was named not just the interim coach, but the, 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 the permanent coach of this team earlier in the year, and it's beginning to look like perhaps they made a mistake. Maybe this is not the guy. You know, call him stubborn if you want. I, You know, look, he's young. He's the youngest coach in the NBA. He's only 34 years. He got absolutely schooled this the first three games in the Miami Heat. Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat, made him look like he was an eight-year-old trying to coach an NBA team. And that is not hyperbole. It is absolute fact. And now if you're the Celtics, you have to do something that has never happened. Of all the series in NBA history where a team has taken a 3-0 lead, folks, they ain't coming back from that. They ain't coming back. This is over. Every team that has won the first three games of a seven-game series has ended up winning the series. The Miami Heat, by the way, are 8-0 when they've done that. They are not coming back. In order to do that, they would have to do something that no team has ever done before, and this Celtics team is gutless. Jason Tatum, who... You know, in the, you know, in the last round, says humbly, I'm you know the best basketball player around. Well, yeah, Jason Tatum in this series has been disgusting. Yesterday, six for eighteen, one for seven from three. Terrible. Jalen Brown, six for seventeen. So your two best players, the guys that were all NBA players, were twelve for thirty-five and a combined one for fourteen from three-point range. You got to be kidding me. Unbelievable. Celtics, you almost, I almost, why don't you just like say we don't want to play game four, just give it to them. I mean, unreal. And by the way, there's a chance tonight that the the Denver Nuggets could sweep the Lakers. And then the Heat could sweep the Celtics. There's never been a season where both conference finals ended in sweeps. It happened in 1957 in the uh, division finals, which preceded the title series, but it's never happened in conference finals. And it could happen right now. And and probably should, because the Celtics have checked out. They scored 17 points in the third quarter. They're down 15 at the half. So you figure, okay, look, they can still come back and try to make this a game. They were worse in the third quarter than they were in either quarter in the first half. 
They got outscored 32-17 to in the third. Oh, my God. You know, Charles Barkley, who, you know, never, never shy on an opinion, he said, look, he said the lack of mental toughness is embarrassing. It was an embarrassment for the Celtics. Oh, you think? He said that at halftime, and it only got worse after that. My God. So, you know, the Celtics who had these T-shirts made up and talked all season about unfinished business because they lost in the NBA Finals last year, and they had this path paved to get back to the NBA Finals. When the Bucks got knocked out by the Heat, by the way, you know, I said, and a lot of people said before this play, the playoffs even started, nobody wants to play the Heat. They're a dangerous team. And, you know, and the Heat, by the way, they were three minutes away from being eliminated in the play-in tournament. They beat Milwaukee in five, and then the, the, the uh, Knicks in six. Nobody, nobody thought that they were going to be a pushover, despite the fact they barely got into the playoffs. But, man, I would have bet everything I own that the Celtics were not going to lose the first three games of this this series. No way. No rational person would. But no rational person understands how much the Celtics have checked out. Absolutely have checked out and absolutely have shown a total lack of character and now if you're Brad Stevens and the ownership of the Celtics, you have to do some serious soul-searching right here and decide maybe we made a mistake naming Missoula the coach. Maybe we need to bite the bullet and we need to get him the hell out of there or bring in an assistant coach that has a freaking clue. You know, maybe we need to do that. Or maybe we need to blow this thing up, and maybe Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown shouldn't be playing together. Maybe one of them needs to go, and maybe the Celtics need to try to get some kind of haul back for these guys and rebuild the character of this team. Because I don't know whether it's laziness or whether it's arrogance, but there is something wrong with the Celtics. And even though they won... 57 games in the regular season, one fewer than the uh, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks who had the most wins. There were times the Celtics lost games in the regular season where they seemed disinterested. And they've seemed about as disinterested as you could possibly be in these playoffs. And they have made it a lot more interesting than it should have been. And yesterday was the culmination of, of a train wreck that started a couple of weeks ago. So now the Celtics have some decisions to make, and there has to be some changes made. You cannot bring back this cast of characters next year. You just can't. They have shown what they are. We saw it last year. We saw it this year. We have shown what they are. And whether that problem is Jason Tatum with his arrogance of humbly I'm the best player in the NBA – or whether it's a chemistry issue or whether it is a head coach issue, there is a problem 
with the Boston Celtics, and they cannot sit on their asses and let this happen again next year. And make no mistake, there's a problem with this team, and if you bring back the same group, the same thing will happen next year. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. By the way, happy birthday, my sister Elaine, uh, her birthday today. Uh, so happy birthday, Elaine. And uh, um, now to, to, to baseball. And I'm not going to go crazy over the fact that the Red Sox lost yesterday to the San Diego Padres. The, the Red Sox still won the series. The Red Sox are still five games over 500. And if you had told me uh, prior to the start of the season that on May the 22nd this team was going to be five over 500, I would have signed up for that immediately. I mean, look, this is a team where a lot of people thought that they would be lucky to be 500. And maybe there, maybe the offense is overachieving. You know, maybe um, I'm not sure how many people thought at the start of the season that this offense would be as good as it is, right? Um, so I, I can't, I can't go crazy about this. Now, having said that, Corey Kluber got the start for the Red Sox yesterday, and he was awful. Once again, he lasts just two and uh, two-thirds innings. Only gave up three hits. Gave up five runs. Only one of them was earned. But the reason only one of them was earned is because he made an error. Right? I mean, and this is one thing I, I, I never have agreed with. And, uh, you know, it's an unearned run if, it, if a position player in the field makes an error behind you. You know, there's, you know, whether it's earned or unearned because you're assuming that that guy shouldn't have been on base because he made an error. So you don't really you know, penalize the pitcher. However, when you make your own error, it should still be an earned run, in my opinion. But he three hits, three walks, only struck out one, threw 39 pitches in the first inning, 39 to give up four runs in the first inning. Corey Kluber now has an ERA of 6.26, and we are at the end of of May. And you can say, well, it's still early. Guys get off to bad starts. It happens, yada, yada, yada. Look, here's the, here's the thing. And Pete Abraham pointed this out this morning in his article in the Boston Globe. You know, it's not just the fact that he's 2-6 and six with a 6-2-6 ERA. When you look inside the numbers, you're worried. It's a guy that isn't a hard thrower anymore after all the arm problems he has. He was throwing 89 miles an hour for his fastball last year. It's This year, he's throwing 88. So there's been a big drop-off in his velocity, which means people are teeing off on him more than they ever have. But the biggest concern with Corey Kluber is his control. This is a guy who does not walk people. He has not walked people in his entire career. Last year in 164 innings, he walked 21 guys all season. He's already walked 18 this year in 41 innings. So in a quarter of the innings, he has walked almost the same number of guys as he did all last season. That 
is concerning, to say the least. And here's the thing. They've already taken Nick Pavetta out of the rotation because he couldn't get anybody out. Now, they brought Pavetta in in relief yesterday, and he was, you know, I mean, through two and two-thirds, two, two hits and a run. Was okay. You know, I mean, hell, better than he had been as a starter. But uh, they've got Garrett Whitlock coming off the disabled list today. He threw his final rehab start for Worcester yesterday and was pretty good. Four and two-thirds scoreless innings. Gave up four hits, struck out four, walk one. Threw 79 pitches, 48 for strikes. He's going to pitch uh, for the Red Sox on Saturday. So you could very easily take Garrett Whitlock and put him into Corey Kluber's spot and go back to a five-man rotation and get him the hell out of the rotation. The problem is, is you know, you don't need both Nick Pavetta and Corey Kluber, two long guys like that, in your bullpen. So what the hell do you do? That's the problem I think that the Red Sox are facing right now. You've signed... Kluber to a one-year deal for $10 bucks, which is looking like a mistake right now. But with a Red Sox team that is hitting the ball the way out, and by the way, they didn't score yesterday, but they still had more hits than the, uh, the Padres did and lost the game. But two errors in the field and a bunch of walks, and that's a recipe for disaster every time. But the bullpen's been pretty good, and the team is hitting the ball, and guys like Pavetta and Kluber are letting them down, and it's not fair. You know, and even Corey Kluber's admitted, he said, look, you know, he says, if there was just one thing, it'd be easy to make the correction. He says, but I'm, I don't know what to do. It's frustrating. And he said, maybe I'm getting in my own way, trying to make too many adjustments, you know. So he knows. But the Sox take two out of three, and, you know, look, as I said, they're still in position now. It's still only the end of May. But right now, the Red Sox are only game and a half out of a wild card spot. You know, and think about this. I mean, that's the thing. This American League East has been so dominant that the Red Sox are in fourth place in their division. And if you take their 26-21 and 21 record, they're like in – First or second place in every other division in baseball. That's no lie. But everybody in the AL East cannot make the playoffs because there's only three wild card spots. And right now, that final wild card spot is held by the Houston Astros, who have gotten hotter than hell, have won 9 of 10. And they, by the way, have Jose Altuve back now. But the Red Sox are in position where they could make the playoffs. But they're not going to make the playoffs if you continue to throw out guys like Pavetta and Kluber every fifth day pitching the way they are. Is it fixable? Yes. At least you would hope so. I have more ho- I have more confidence that they might be able to fix Nick Pavetta because at least he throws harder. You know, Corey Kluber is a guy who, you know, multiple Cy Young Award winner, but a guy who has struggled with injuries and a guy whose velocity has dropped off the cliff during his career. But the American League East, think about Look at this. The American League East, when you look at run differential by division, the American League East has outscored their opponents by 225 runs combined. Okay? 
There's only one other division in baseball that has done that, and that's the NL Central, and it's only been by 13 runs. AL East, 225, NL Central, 13. Every other division in baseball, their run differential is in the negatives. That's how good the AL East has been. That's a level of dominance we have not seen. Every team in that division may do something that's never happened before. Never has a division had everybody finish over 500. The Toronto Blue Jays are in a funk right now, and they're in last place in the division. They're still three games over 500. They're 25 and 22. That record that's in last in the American League East, they'd be in first place in the AL Central. They'd be in first in the NL Central. You know, that's how good the division's been. But the Red Sox have a decision to make as far as Kluber goes. And here's the deal. I think what we're going to see is he will pitch again next Sunday. They're going to throw him against the Diamondbacks. And if he if he throws up on himself again, I think we will have seen the last of Corey Kluber, at least for the time being, in the rotation. And whether they come up with some other some phantom injury where he needs to have a you know a rehab start or, or go down the IL and then go down to Worcester and do some rehab starts and try to figure it out down there, or whether they bite the bullet and cut him and just say, well, we made a mistake. It was 10, 10 million bucks wasted. And what, what makes, by the way, what makes it hurt even more yesterday, the guy that beat the Red Sox, Michael Walker, the guy who was so great for Boston last year. He's the guy that took on Kluber yesterday and beat him. We could have signed Michael Walker and he would have been in Kluber's spot in the rotation. But no. No, we let him go. Stupid. So another Bloom mistake. But it may be that if he does not pitch well on Sunday, we have seen the last, or Corey Kluber. And it would be kind of appropriate if it happens against the Diamondbacks when he gets cut. The Diamondbacks this year made a decision to cut a guy that stunk up the joint for them when they let uh, Madison Bumgarner go who had an ERA of like 10 over four innings. I mean, over four starts. You know, there just comes a point. And by the way, Madison Bumgarner is only 33. Kluber's 37. There comes a point where you just got to cut your losses. And and I think the Sox are probably at it right now uh, with Corey Kluber. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles win yesterday. They sweep the Toronto Blue Jays. Combine that with a loss by Tampa yesterday, and the Baltimore Orioles are now just two and a half games out of first place in the American League East. Anybody who thought last year was a fluke for this young Orioles team needs to think again. And, and this is a, you know, a lot of people were calling for Brandon Hyde to be fired two years ago, and, uh, you know, maybe he's not the right guy. And, boy, it's amazing what happens when you get some good young players that want to play. You know, and Cedric Mullins has been great. Adley Rutschman has been as advertised. Anthony Sandander, again, good player. Ryan Mountcastle, Ryan McKenna. Look, they're getting contributions from guys up and down this lineup. And that bullpen has been really, really good. You know, Dean Kremer yesterday goes five and a third, one run, strikes out seven. So 
the Orioles are breathing down Tampa's neck. And by the way, Tampa still twenty-one and four at home. Don't feel bad for the Rays, even though they lose. But the thing about the Orioles, the thing that is the most amazing, is Baltimore is sixteen and eight on the road. That is the best road record in baseball this year. The Baltimore Orioles. Rays lose to the Brewers. As I said, uh, it was final was six to four in that one. Uh, the good news for the Rays coming up is uh, Tyler Glass. Now remember him, guy has been hurt for most of the last couple of years. Uh, threw six innings for Nashville yesterday, and uh, I mean for Durham against Nashville, and allowed uh, just one run. It was a home run. He allowed two hits, two walks. He struck out six over six innings, and he's coming back. It's probably going to be his final rehab start, and then he will be back with this team, and so they're only going to get better. And they've got a series coming up against Toronto. Toronto, a desperate team right now. Toronto, after being swept by the Orioles, Four and six in their last ten. They they struggle on the road. They are under five hundred on the road, and uh, I'm not going to say they could be buried, but they've got their hands full. By the way, the Red Sox tonight uh, get to play Anaheim. The good news for the Red Sox when they go to play Anaheim, or I should say, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, is that they don't have to play, uh, face Shohei Otani on the mound. Otani pitched yesterday, so he will not face the Red Sox on the mound. He'll still be in the lineup as a designated hitter, but at least the Red Sox won't have to face him on the mound, uh, which is a blessing. No question about that. It's 46 minutes past the hour. we got one more break. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Uh, the Houston Astros, I mentioned how hot they have been, uh, and uh, they got a great pitching performance yesterday. Framber Valdez, a complete game shutout. You don't see those too many these days, folks, but nine innings. He gave up four hits, no runs. He struck out seven, didn't walk anybody, threw 104 pitches, uh, even his record at 4-4, four and four, uh, lowered his ERA to 2.45, and the, uh, uh, the Astros right now the hottest team in baseball. As I said, they have won 9 of 10 uh, Jose Altuve with a hit yesterday, his third game back uh, after the broken thumb that he suffered in the World Baseball Classic. So that can only help this team get better. Now, Luis, losing Luis Garcia is not going to help that rotation, but uh, they've got enough young pitching, I think, that they're they're going to be okay. And uh, having Altuve back is uh, a, a just what the doctor ordered. By the way, Oakland, whew, you know, just they they are now ten and thirty eight. That is the worst record in franchise history after 48 games. So stretching back to the time when they were the Philadelphia A's or the Kansas City A's, they have never started this poorly. They are on pace. If they continue to play the way, the way they are now, they will finish 34-128 and 128 this year. And if you are Rob Manfred... And I know you're excited because, you know, the, the A's are going to move to Las Vegas and you're going to get into that market and that's what you want. And, you know, but the way that this was done, where this team consistently for the last decade or more 
has failed to put a competitive team on the field, has failed to spend money despite the fact they get all kinds of money from uh, uh, the luxury tax that uh, the other teams for overspending over the salary uh, threshold and you know all the TV money they get, and their salary, combined salaries for their teams, has been less than all that. So they're making money and not putting a product on the field, and they wonder why, A, people don't want to go watch that crap, and B, why they're as bad as they are. You know, and if you're Rob Manfred, it is not a good look for Major League Baseball. You know, even though, for instance, even though Tampa's stadium is a dump, and I'm sorry, folks, and I'm, you know, I apologize to all you folks that listen to the show, and I've got, you know, friends that live in Tampa – that stadium is a dump. I've been there. It is not a good baseball stadium. It's not a great area either, but it's not a great baseball stadium. And you don't draw flies except when, you know, the Yankees or the Red Sox come in. It's not a good look. But at least, and they don't spend a lot of money, but at least they've figured out how to, you know, whether they're smarter than everybody else or whatever it is, they've figured out how to put a competitive team on the field. You know, and there were times, you know, 10, 12 years ago where Oakland would be in the race up until the end and then they would fold because, you know, they just don't have enough horses, you know. But 10 and 38, if a team goes 34 and 128 in Major League Baseball, they should be thrown out of the league. The ownership should be drummed out and never allowed to own another professional franchise ever because it's 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 mismanagement and it's theft it's stealing money from the other teams that are putting money into that uh, uh, tax threshold pot and the media money it's just stealing money and embarrassing the sport as a whole I mean it, it really is and and if you're Rob Manfred how you sit back and let that happen is beyond me you know it's like uh, you know nothing happening here no I don't see anything bad and on the other side of, uh, of the coin, it is nice to see a team like the Texas Rangers that have, went, have gone out, has spent money, a team that, excuse me, has struggled over the last, you know, decade or more. And here they are in first place, 29 and 17. They've won three in a row. Uh, again, Houston has gotten closer because they are on fire, but they sweep the Colorado Rockies over the weekend. Uh, they win yesterday 13 to 3 a game that was obviously not competitive but look they put up 31 runs in a three game series and they are 12 games over 500 for the first time since 2016 when they won 95 games that year uh, they're outscoring their opponents it's the largest run differential for them through 46 games in franchise history uh look they just hit the ball Corey Seager yesterday uh Three runs batted in, including a two-run bomb. Uh, Josh Jung hit his ninth home run for the Rangers, you know, and uh, they've gotten really good pitching. You know, having Jacob DeGrom on the shelf right now, obviously not ideal. They hope to get him back. But Andrew Heaney goes out yesterday and gives up just one unearned run in six innings. Nathan Avaldi, another guy the Red Sox could have had still in their rotation, by the way, pitching really well for Texas. 
you know, they are just getting good pitching and they have a lineup that can mash. With Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager, uh, Josh Lau, the kid, you know, uh, young, Robbie Grossman seems to have figured it out. You know, this team can hit the baseball. So they have a two-game lead over the Astros in the AL West. Uh, look, the Angels, the team, the Red Sox, are going to start playing tonight in a three-game series. Playing well also. They're only five games out of first place. They're two games over 500. Shohei Otani on the mound yesterday, six innings, just one run, struck out nine, lowered his ERA to 305. Solid bullpen. And you've got Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the batting order. Uh, and Hunter Renfro, guy that was with the Red Sox a couple years ago, continuing to hit the ball well. Um, you know, Gio Urshela, a Yankee and Minnesota Twins cast-off, hitting over 300. And then Mickey Moniak, a guy they just called up, uh, a couple of big hits over the weekend, and it was his second uh, second big hit over the weekend, a two-run double yesterday in the seventh. They beat the Minnesota Twins 4-2. to two. So this Angels team also not going to be a pushover for the Red Sox. But, hey, look, if you're the Boston, all you can do now is just try to win series. Two out of three. Two out of three. It's all we got to do. Um, the Atlanta Braves yesterday with a win. They beat the Seattle Mariners 3-2. to two. And uh, Jared Schuster making a case uh, to stay in that rotation for the Braves. Six innings yesterday, just one hit, one run. The one hit, one, the one hit he gave up was a homer. Uh, struck out seven. Picked up his first major league win. And uh, Rysel Iglesias picks up his third save of the season as the Braves win uh, by a final of 3-2. to two. They stay in first place by five games over the New York Mets. The Mets swept a doubleheader yesterday from the Cleveland Guardians. How about this for a doubleheader uh, tandem? Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. 449 career wins between the two of them. That is the most that has ever started a doubleheader since Nolan Ryan and Charlie Huff, who had 484, did it in 1990 pitching for the Texas Rangers. Scherzer and Verlander both pitched well yesterday. Verlander uh, outduels Justin Bieber. <laughs> Justin Bieber. Shane Bieber. <laughs> Uh, two to one to give the Mets the sweep. And uh, so the Mets uh, looks like maybe they figured it out. They've won seven of their last 10 now back over 500 with that $350 million payroll. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up call. Going to play a little Jimmy Buffett on our way out this morning. Uh, news came down over the weekend. Jimmy Buffett has been hospitalized uh, 76 years old. Uh, said he had a checkup and something happened that he needed immediate medical attention for. And uh, as he said uh, on a post, he said, look, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to be back as soon as I can. But one thing I'll tell you, growing old is not for sissies. So uh, he's looking at 80 right now, but uh, this is a song uh, from back in the 70s, one of my favorite Jimmy Buffett songs. It's called A Pirate Looks at 40. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.